0: Ten, nine. We have ignition sequence start. The engines are on. Four, three, two, one, zero. You're listening to All Things From My Brain, the new podcast from The New Universe. For more information about the author, or to check out show notes and links, or to send us feedback, please visit the blog And here we go again. Hello and welcome to episode 8 of the All Things From My Brain podcast. I am Patrick Hester, author blogger, functional nerd, tech junkie, gamer, and self-professed Twitter junkie. I want to thank you for once again tagging along for this little slice of madness that I like to call all things from my brain. That's both this podcast and my blog, uh, both of which I use to discuss all the little things that distract me throughout the week. Um, you know, anything really that I may have found interesting. So so there you go both of those, Uh, I invite you to kick back for the next hour or so, sip your favorite beverage of choice, and snack on your favorite munchable item, and join me on this journey into the things that caught my eye and made me think, which is always dangerous, so kick back and enjoy. Um, Let's dive right in and uh, check out technology news. You know, I've said it before. I'm going to say it again. The Kindle, it just can't stay out of the news from one week to the next. An interesting article over on uh, Ars Technica is about uh, an effort on the part of Kindle users to convince Amazon that they need to dump their DRM policies with regards to the Kindle and kind of go um, a little bit more open with it the way they are with their music. Anyway, um, I'm quoting from the article here. When it comes to selling music downloads... Amazon was all about openness. Apple had already locked up the market for DRM'd downloads, and of course it had a license to print money via the iPod. Uh, Amazon's challenge to Apple took the form of openness as the giant retailer launched a DRM-free music store with support from all uh, four of the major labels. But when it came to the ebook market, Amazon dropped its commitment to openness and instead followed Apple's playbook so exactly that it looked like a case of Seattle start your photocopiers. Slick hardware that used a proprietary DRM format quickly made the Kindle uh, the hottest brand name in the admittedly still small ebook circles. It was the decision to link the Kindle hardware and store with a new DRM scheme that led to the Free Software Foundation uh, adding the Kindle to its defective by design anti DRM campaign. The group has now launched a petition asking Amazon to remove all DRM, including any ability to control or access the u- user's library, from the Kindle. Whatever Amazon's reasons for imposing this control may be, they are not as important as the public's freedom to use books without interference or supervision, end quote. Oh, boy. This is something, it's not going to go away anytime soon. I think I've said that before as well. Uh, You have content creators on one side who are saying that they have the ability to control all aspects of distribution and delivery. And on the other side, you have users who really are getting fed up with all the uber-restrictive policies that end up basically just screwing us over. Um, I can see... I, you know, I can see a little bit of the creator side, J- just just a little bit. Uh, in the past, just as an example, um, if you wrote a book and you got it published, um, there were so many copies of the book published and available out there, and they were all printed by your publisher. If the demand was high enough and if it was there, sometimes they do a second printing, maybe even a third, uh, but a traditional run would probably be a, a first printing of a hardcover and then... A paperback like six months to a year later. Uh, but the publisher controlled that entire process. They were in charge of it um, from start to finish. Today, there are a lot of different distribution methods and you can do a hardcover and a paperback, which you also have, you know, an audiobook, a digital version. And when you get into that digital area, that's when uh, people figure out ways to redistribute the work that the publishers don't really like and that the content creators kind of want to avoid. Um, On the flip side, you've got a user like yourself or or me, um, and we can go out and we can buy a hardcover or a paperback. We can read it, you know, enjoy it, maybe keep it on our bookshelf forever, um, rereading it over and over and over whenever we choose. We could loan it to friends. We could take it to a used bookstore, sell it, um, and get some credits and you know, buy something else from the store and, and read and enjoy that. But uh, the, the concept there is that when you purchase that book, it's yours. And you can do whatever the heck you want with it, really. Um, but that same concept isn't true for digital media. From the creator-publisher's viewpoint, they don't want me to be able to share that book with my friends, really. Uh, they they don't want me to be able to sell it to a used ebook vendor, for example. They don't want me to donate it to a library, and sometimes they don't even want me to be able to read and reread it. You know, if it means putting it on my digital shelf, which would essentially be taking it off the device because you have a finite amount of storage on your device. One of the concepts is that you could keep it on your digital shelf and then move it back and forth whenever you did want to read it, but they don't really want you to do that. Um, obviously because they're they're putting secret download limits on uh, on the books you know that that kind of tight grip is what has people like this free software foundation really upset and seeing red over over the DRM policies on the Kindle the the content creators they're so afraid of abuse The publishers... I I, I should take that back. It's probably not the content creators necessarily, um, but I think the publishers are driving this. And and it's not just books. I mean, it's all across the board. But they have so tightly locked everything down through some form of digital rights management, through DRM, that I think it's starting to put off the average person who ends up having to deal with all that crap. Uh, I mean... In all honesty, the people that DRM is truly intended to stop, the people who are going to actively try and, and break through and get something for free, you know, something without ever paying for it, DRM doesn't really stop them, and, and, and it's not going to. They are always going to try and get that content for free. There's always going to be someone out there you know, building a better hack, building a better way to break in and, and get that stuff. So really, it's just the rest of us that are punished. And, and sometimes quite harshly for something that I I don't think that they're ever going to be able to stop, really. And, and like I said, this isn't just about books. Um, music, video games, movies, TV shows. L- look at the lengths that they go to to keep all these different types of content locked down. And, and I'm using sarcastic air quotes here, but they're trying to keep them protected. Uh, the video game industry doesn't like... For example, the used game market. They're very outspoken about not liking it. Uh, at least the book industry doesn't shout from the rooftops about how you know used bookstores are stealing millions from them every year uh, the way the, the video game industry does. Um, it doesn't mean they aren't thinking about it, the book publishers. It just means that they aren't saying it uh, because the, the video game industry does get a lot of flack for that crap. Uh, Hollywood, you know, they they almost... I think they invented DRM. Uh, they add, you know, anti-piracy ads to the beginning of their movies. Whenever you buy a DVD, they make sure you can't fast-forward through them. Um, video games now have these complicated keys, and, and they're talking about, you know, website activations and retail store activations. iTunes authenticates computers to listen to music or watch content, which I think they actually dumped that, um, but that that was part of their DRM thing. I, I mean, what's next for books? Um you can buy the audiobook or the ebook but it comes encrypted and maybe you have to get a special key to decrypt it so it can be read or listened to I, I mean at some point we have to say enough is enough and call a ridiculous situation a ridiculous situation don't you agree Twitter also made the news this week well really <clears throat> all the social networking sites did but 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 let's start with um with this little piece here ESPN the NFL, and the U.S. Marine Corps all banned Twitter, Facebook, and other social sites this week. Quoting from an article here, for ESPN, the social networking revolution will not be televised or tweeted, blogged, or Facebooked. Not for now, at least, and not without ESPN's approval. I'm surprised they didn't say explicit approval of the ESPN network. The sports network has apparently banned its workforce from posting any sports-related content on social networking tools such as Twitter and Facebook without its permission. The news first came to light Tuesday when Rick Butcher, an NBA analyst for ESPN, tweeted that he had just received a network memo regarding tweeting. Here's here's his quote. Uh, The Hammer just came down, tweets, ESPN memo prohibiting tweeting info unless it serves ESPN. Kind of figured... You he meant to say, kind of figured this was coming. He says, with this coming. I'm um, not sure what this means. In a memo, ESPN tells its employees that it is, quote, currently building and testing modules designed to publish Twitter and Facebook entries simultaneously uh, on ESPN websites and mobile platforms, and it plans to roll out the modules this fall. Personal websites and blogs that contain sports content are not permitted, according to the memo. But it says, If ESPN.com opts not to post sports-related social media content created by ESPN talent, you are not re- permitted to report, speculate, discuss, or give any opinions on sports re- sports-related sports topics or personalities on your personal platforms. Wow. Uh, similarly, according to CNN, a Marine Corps order has made the Corps' feelings known. Um, but this is a little weird. Uh, Quote, these internet sites in general are a proven haven for malicious actors and content and are particularly high risk due to information exposure, user-generated content, and targeting by adversaries. And the New York Times has told us that certain NFL teams appear to be chop-blocking social networking square in the back of the knees. At the beginning of training camp, Green Bay Packers were apparently told that they would be fined at $1,701, which is the NFL maximum, for texting or tweeting during a team function. The Miami Dolphins uh, have a Twitter page, but their coach has also told the players to lay off any tweets in order to not create additional distractions. Okay, I, I can see the military not wanting people sharing what they're doing right now. That makes absolute sense to me. I mean... Security, you know, and all that. Uh, the security of our soldiers, especially if they're overseas. And, and I can even agree with the NFL not wanting players distracted during team events and games and, and that kind of stuff. When when really, they're, it's, it's entertainment, and they're supposed to be focused on what they're doing. I, I get that. But um, I think on their personal time, they should be free to do whatever the hell they want to do. Um, both Facebook and Twitter have become marketing tools. For the young Marine, uh... You know, I can I can see them using Facebook and Twitter to keep in touch with their family and friends, which I would think would be a morale boost, to say the least. You know, for them to be able to to contact them um, in a almost real time sort of fashion, which I know a lot of them can't really do um, when they're overseas. But for the NFL player, you know, these are tools that are used for marketing. And the NFL players, uh, I, I know they're kind of overpaid and, and and they're not always nice guys. Organizing dog fights and all that kind of crap. But really, it, it's a marketing tool, and and they have to market themselves. They have to build a fan base. They have to connect with the people really in in that market who say you know have a say in and whether or not they are successful. Um. And especially like if they're moving in, you know, from team to team, they they want to be able to connect quickly with with fans. So I, I don't know. Um, this seems a little harsh to me. I, I, that, that's just my two cents. It seems a little bit harsh. On uh, on a different note, there was a a denial of service attack this week that ended up hitting several different sites, including Facebook and Twitter. And uh, according to a guy in Georgia, in Not um, our United States, uh, Georgia, but uh, in the country of Georgia that was uh, invaded by Russia not too long ago. Um, It was all to to kind of shut him up. He claims that he's been very outspoken that that the Russians need to leave Georgia and and stop the occupation there and that this denial of service attack was aimed directly at him. There's lots of different stories about this out there. Uh, You can go check them out um it, it definitely brought twitter down and it definitely brought um live journal and facebook down a little bit and, and gave them all some issues this week uh, which was just a pain in the butt um if it's true that there, there was an attack against this guy to keep him from speaking out against the russians that's that's terrible it's horrible you know he claims that the kremlin was doing it i, I don't know that there I, I didn't really see anything out there that showed me for sure that that was what it was. They did say that, what was it, millions of emails were sent out with links that people were clicking and, and that that's what overloaded a lot of the servers. So, I don't know. Um, just definitely worth mentioning so I wanted to throw it out there. Cool bit of news. <clears throat> and this sort of spans both technology and, and TV this week. Um, TiVo, And yes, I'm sniffling. I'm always sniffling. I I can't help it. Um, TiVo has added some cool functionality and content to its DVRs. Um, TiVo announced Wednesday that it has added hundreds of free web videos to TiVo Series 3, TiVo HD, and TiVo HD XL DVRs. Uh, Also, also subscribers who are interested in... uh, uh, listening to me be tongue-tied. Who are interested in, in in watching video podcasts that they can't find through TiVo's listings can enter RSS feeds manually to watch the show on their TiVo box, which is just friggin' cool. Uh, starting Wednesdays, or starting this last Wednesday actually, um, subscribers were able to watch free video podcasts from several providers, including CBS, Fox, all kinds of different ones, <clears throat> different ones, including CNN, which was kind of cool. Uh, and now you can watch watch a single episode or you can subscribe to all the episodes of the podcast just by um, going for a season pass, which is similar to what you do on the TV shows anyway, so it's not like a big deal. Um, they've also announced that it's going to allow users to input video podcast RSS feeds so you can watch you know shows that you can't find, which is cool. Um, let's see here. It's all really cool. Um, I, I played with it the other night on my TiVo. And the flip side is it was also very easy to use and, and set up season passes and, and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, quality was pretty decent, um, especially given the fact that uh, I'm on a, a pretty good-sized widescreen LCD. It um, took only a couple seconds for the TiVo to start streaming the video, which, you know, I had this little screen up. Um, it just said loading, loading, loading. Um, but that really could just be due to the fact that, that my TiVo is on a, on a wireless connection, um, so that could be why it was a little bit slower. But still, it, it was really sick. Um, I really liked it. Better yet, uh, I started playing around with it and playing around in that general area, which I forget how to get there. you got to kind of play with the menus. Um, but I found settings in there that allow you to share your own home videos and photos through your TiVo with family members throughout the country who are also using TiVo. Um, that just blew my mind. I didn't get too far into it because I I don't really have any home videos to share with anybody. Uh, But I do have tons of photos, which would be kind of cool. I'm assuming that that the whole thing works through the TiVo desktop, though, uh, which you can install on a PC, but they don't have an Apple version, which sucks, Mr. TiVo. Come on now. Any sort of sharing on a Mac has to go through um, this wonderful... Wonderful piece of crap application that's called toast titanium uh my experience with this stellar application have been just just less than wonderful, as you may have gathered from from my sarcastic tone uh My assumption is that toast is supposed to work with a wired connection um Note that I didn't say works better. I said works. Because it sure as heck doesn't work for me. It it, it kind of starts and then stalls and then starts and then stalls and then starts. And it's just truly, truly annoying. And, and I'm not about to run a ton of Cat5 through my place just to test whether it's the wireless connection or if it's something else. So, I digress a little bit there. Sorry, didn't mean to go on a rant. Um... But wouldn't it be cool? I mean, you can already get YouTube stuff. You can you can get Netflix. They're talking about a, a blockbuster deal, so you can already get all that kind of stuff streaming through your TiVo. Um, what I'd like to see is like the Guild. That'd be kind of cool, you know. And and um, what's the uh, the Will Ferrell site? You know that kind of streaming on there. That'd be kind of cool. Uh, anyway, if you have TiVo, uh, check it out. It's sort of buried in the menus. But uh, once you get there, you can scroll through. It's all categorized, similar to the way iTunes categorizes um, podcasts. So, But from there, you can click on them just to subscribe, view them, whatever the heck you want to do. Um, check it out if you've got a TiVo. It's worth it. I've got just, just a couple of Apple-type things to talk about this week. Um, if there is a limitation on the iPhone that truly annoys me, truly, truly annoys me, um, it's the lack of multitasking. You can't run certain apps in the background. You can't switch between them and, and, and basically multitask, which, which can get annoying. Um, other times you can have one thing going like your music and then switch to another or you can be on the phone talking with someone and you can jump in your contacts. You can you, you can do that kind of stuff and multitask that way. But, but the reason is it comes down to... Any application that's created by Apple, you can switch back and forth and they can run in the background. Um, but if it's just a third-party app, typically you can't do that. Um, to address this a little bit, Apple did release a, a push ability for apps, um, you know, like instant messaging um, for their 3.0 OS that they launched, so that you stay logged in and it does push notify you when you have new messages, which is cool. Um, another cool thing I found out is that the iPhone is capable of playing streaming audio in the background as long as you use Safari. Typically when you when you use some of the different apps and you're trying to stream audio from a website, if you switch, if you're doing it, you do anything, you lose your audio. Um but here's a cool thing about not losing the audio and you'll be able to play it in the background. Um it does require well, there's a couple of different ways. One is if you use Safari and the streaming audio is either MP3 or AAC format, which are both supported by iTunes, it will stream the audio in the background. So that's kind of cool. Um, but that can also be a little bit cumbersome, especially when you're having to type in the URL, you're having to do all that kind of crap. So, And then if you open up another Safari browser, the one that you have open dies you know, with the streaming audio. So, um, But luckily, there is a third-party app now that's helping out a little bit with that. Um, Flycast is a free app, and it comes preloaded with fifteen hundred digital channels, uh, plus a, a manual entry method, and it includes a play in the background function that will essentially open the stream in Safari where it can play in the background while you do other things. Obviously, it doesn't fix the problem of if you open up another Safari window, but at least you don't have to type everything in. You know, if they've already got a channel on there that you like, um, the Flycast. Uh, I'm going to read here in a little bit. The Flycast Native app includes features um, like pause live on all stations, song skipping on certain webcasts, stream ahead, which allows you to continue to listen to a station even during extended periods without a connection, and top of the hour, which allows latecomers to jump to the beginning of talk radio shows. You can also preset your favorite stations, search for stations that play a particular artist, review songs that you listened to recently, and have the ability to purchase those songs directly um, from iTunes. Uh, settings allow you to launch stations in background mode, which is what I'm talking about. You can also use a battery saver mode and relaunch your last station when, the launch, uh, when you launch the app. Uh, background play mode allows users to perform other tasks on the device, as long as it's not in a browser. But you can read email, text messaging, play games, do whatever the heck you want. Um, and also we show you co- album cover art, artist info and songs, uh, when that stuff is available to you. So... so all that kind of stuff really cool now I've got a link in the show notes and that's taking you to macworld.com where this guy is talking about Flycast but in the article he has some other really cool stuff like how he created a a directory of his favorite shows for Flycast to load um, some of which were not in the Flycast list so that way he didn't have to type them in every time he had them basically on a page in his Flycast Uh, and then he also created an icon on his home screen that he could just click and it would take him to that page and he could go from there. He walks you through the whole process, which is pretty slick. Um, he creates the document, he creates the icon. It's all step by step and very cool. So, uh, in that way, if you wanted to add, oh, say John and Alio, um, who we talked about last week to your favorites list and stream his new song each week, you could do that. Um, you could also stream this podcast, um, from there. So just just a couple of examples. Um, It's very cool. Check it out. Check out the article on MacWorld.com and the step by steps there. The other bit of Apple news this week is um, this TomTom thing. Um, The iPhone already has a really decent GPS piece, uh, and that's through Google Maps. Uh, I've used it quite a bit all the time. I mean. You can search for stuff. You know, it finds out where you are. You can tell it that you want Chinese food. It'll find all the Chinese people, your Chinese food places around you. Um, And then you can just run and and go and check those out. Get directions, all that kind of good stuff. Uh, I use it all the time. But uh, this TomTom thing, it was unveiled at the WWDC keynote last June. And it looks kind of interesting at the moment. Um, And... Now we're kind of getting a, a little bit of an idea of what it may cost, which we didn't have before. There's a UK website that it has the TomTom cradle and software, so it's like a kit available for pre-order at 99 pounds, which is roughly 168 bucks. The kit has the suction cup mount slash cradle for the car that you can stick on the windshield, um, and then that will amplify the GPS signal and make it um, suddenly you've got a hands-free Uh, device, you know, because you can have it in the cradle. You can do calling. You can um, push your music through the car's stereo system. If, uh, you know, I'm assuming that your car has to have an iPod um, compatible system for that to work. Uh, But it'll also charge the phone uh, because it plugs into the cigarette lighter, that little 12-volt port. Uh, The catch here is that the software will be available by itself in the App Store, um, but that will rely solely on the phone's GPS. If you get this kit with the cradle and all that kind of crap, um, you'll be on TomTom's GPS um which they're they're kind of pushing as more reliable and and better so you you just kind of have to think about which way you'd want to go there now what i don't get is i don't know if TomTom Tom has a monthly subscription their stuff tends to be pretty expensive at least from my perspective um you know 3-400 bucks for the top end 129 to 150 for the low end um I know there are some other products out there, but they're subscription-based. For example, on the iPhone, there is the AT&T Navigator. It's completely free, but it does have a $10 monthly subscription. And and personally, that would suck to me to just have another monthly fee to deal with. Uh, AT&T is really good about screwing us. Um, Really, really good about screwing iPhone users over. Um, So, you know, to pay them another monthly fee would just make me want to puke. So I, I don't know if TomTom's doing the same thing or not. If they are, then this is nothing to me. I'm not gonna spend, you know, let's say it's $168 bucks for the, the, the kit, and maybe $69 to $99 or whatever for the just the software if you wanted to get. If they added the, the monthly fee onto that, that would piss me off and I wouldn't buy it. So um I like the Google Maps feature on iPhone. So really, I don't even know if I'd ever get this or not. I like the cradle. Charger stereo thing that sucks up onto your uh, windshield, but I, I I can probably go and get that somewhere else, um, separate from the TomTom Tom service. So I don't know. Maybe go to Car Toys and check it out. Okay, um, that's pretty much it for technology this week. I'm gonna I'm gonna get into something else here. can't believe how hard it is to get any work done on this project. There are extras goofing off everywhere, but it takes an hour of asking around to get a group of 10 of them together to shoot a scene. And then, just when we're about to start filming, one of them suddenly has to leave because his mother needs him to clean his room or something. That is an excerpt from a Wired post called Sam Raimi's Warcraft Movie Production Diary. If you have ever played world of warcraft or any other mmo for that matter you have to go to the show notes and click this link and read this because it's just it's absolutely hilarious it pokes fun at all the little things about warcraft that make us laugh because it's true and it's happened to us from lines to get onto the set To scenery crashes, uh, imbalanced sides and complaining about Horde vs. Alliance, Um, discussions about looting of dead extras, portals to Dalaran, you name it, it gets mentioned. It's really, really funny stuff. Um, Go check it out. Uh, (laughs) It's really worth it. Uh, Also in Blizzard news, players are complaining about accounts being suspended because of chargebacks filed against them by a company that they say they have no connection with. According to a thread on the forums, multiple players have received uh, the following message when trying to figure out why their account is currently inaccessible. Quote, "...access to the World of Warcraft account has been temporarily disabled due to a chargeback filed against this account's past payments, which were billed to a telephone number via Payment 1." End quote. Uh, Payment 1 is a payment service provider and has a system in place to bill players' ISP accounts for their WoW subscriptions chargebacks are normally used as a method of consumer protection a last line of defense against shady retailers Um, effectively a consumer will dispute a charge on their debit credit card statements and the issuing bank or credit card company will forcibly return the disputed funds to the person exactly why and how these chargebacks were applied to the aforementioned accounts is yet to be determined but they've caused the accounts to have negative balances with blizzard which has led to the suspensions of the accounts until the issue is resolved um, the main claim, or the main problem with this claim is that, uh, many of the players who are getting their accounts suspended say they have never used Payment One or have never signed up with the company's services and have never really heard of them before. Um, others who have, uh, th- they say that they, their Payment One accounts were used at least a year ago or more and have since been canceled. Uh, apparently Blizzard is keeping pretty mum on the subject so far. I couldn't find anything from Big Blue on the subject, except that they are willing to talk to the individuals who are affected about the whole thing. They're just not going to make any wide, you know, um, blanket statements about the this particular piece right now. The article does link to other incidents, however, um, about Payment 1 and the weird things going on. They're listed on ripoff report. There's like a class action suit against them. So it seems like that they could be bad guys that... I'm hoping that no one listening to this uses them for anything because this whole thing is kind of scary and it it really is becoming a mess. Uh, I'm hoping that these folks who have been affected by this get everything worked out uh, with Blizzard um, because payment one apparently is trying to get people to pay them. So they're, they're trying to get... I guess people are to to if there's a, a problem with a charge and it's fifteen bucks, they want you to pay payment one fifteen bucks. Which it, it just all sounds like a a big huge fat hairy scam to me. I don't know. Uh it's just it's bad, 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 bad. Um one of the first things I did when I got home after hearing about this is that I logged into WoW to make sure that I could and that I wasn't affected. I I've never used payment one, never heard of them before this. Uh, But I didn't want to take any risks or or, or chances, and I don't think you should either. When was the last time you logged in? Lastly this week, uh, well, not for the whole week, but um, at least in this little section, uh, I did go and check out G.I. Joe. It opened, when did it open, Friday or was it like Thursday? Thursday it must have been thursday at, or wednesday at midnight or something like that 12:01 whatever um i do have to say i liked it i don't know i don't know what i was expecting going in i guess i was expecting complete and utter crap and don't get me wrong um it was definitely a boobs and explosion type of hollywood popcorn movie but it wasn't a terrible boobs and explosions type of hollywood popcorn movie at that makes sense to you. Um, it's it's too early to talk about details because I, I don't want to spoil the film for anybody who's listening. But uh, here's a couple of key points that uh, I want to make that I don't think will ruin anything for you. I, I don't think it's anything um, surprising or spoilery. First off, uh, I liked that both Scarlet and the Baroness were actual characters with a little bit of depth. Um they weren't simply there for their ample bosoms, um which were ample and bosomy. Uh they each had actual depth and character moments and and kind of a story driving them. And they held their own well against the boys if you, if you know what I mean. Um I did like that scarlet still had her crossbow, which was a nice little detail that uh, they probably could have thrown away and Caused a, a huge stir, but they didn't. So anyway, um, second, I, I always, always felt like Duke was just a goober. He he's like the Cyclops of the GI Joe team to me. I never particularly cared for Cyclops. I never particularly cared for Duke. Um, in the comics, especially, I always wanted Snake Eyes to just, you know, walk over Duke and not say anything, and then slice and dice him and be done with it. In the movie, um, not not so much. He he wasn't. goober they they gave him a little bit of depth a little bit of character as much as you can get in this type of film and and it worked well i don't know that i like the actor too much but hey like i said it, it worked okay uh third the story wasn't fantastic it wasn't shakespeare but i never expected it to be um i don't think it has to be not for this type of summer movie Um, you'd be fine taking your kids to this film, and and they would enjoy it, and you would enjoy it. Um, Just don't think too hard about it. It's not that kind of of movie. Special effects were cool. Um, Snake Eyes kicked butt, of course. Uh, Storm Shadow was a badass. Um, Exactly what you were expecting from a G.I. Joe movie. The only other thing that was disappointing was that it was not G.I. Joe, a real American hero. It was G.I. Joe... Um United uh what, what's what's unit called? UNIT United Nations Intelligence Task Force. So it was G.I. Joe United Nations Intelligence Task Force. Which was just stupid. Uh, absolutely stupid. So there. <laughs> CopyBlogger.com is a it's a website that I've I've been frequently frequenting a lot, but I think recently it's kind of lost its way, in my humble opinion. Um, I know that his thing or, or her thing or whoever it is that's writing it um, or their thing was that they're they're trying to they've decided on the path that they're going down, so and they're going down that path. More power to them. But uh, I I don't particularly care for everything that comes out of there anymore. But they did have an interesting article this week that caught my eye and that I wanted to share. 73 Ways to Become a Better Writer. Some of this stuff is good. Some of it's not. But uh, altogether, it's it's a worthwhile read. It comes from readers of the blog itself who offered their own answers to the question, what helps you become a better writer? So they sent in their answers and, and they uh, copy blogger basically put them together on a list. I want to take a look at just a couple of the things from the list, and just a couple of things that stood out and, and made sense to me. And then I leave it up to you as to whether or not you want to go and check it out. Um, it's linked in the show notes. So if you if you decide you want to go check out the other um, 70 items or whatever, feel free. Uh, let's see. Number one. Number one on the 73 ways to become a better writer. Number one, become a blogger. Uh, I agree. Uh, I think that this forces you to write often and it helps you to grow and to kind of build an audience and to start interacting with people and and getting feedback and hopefully to build a little bit of a thick skin when it comes to criticisms because you're going to get a lot of criticisms as a a writer and you need to be able to take those and take the constructive ones and turn them inward and and do something well with them. So become a blogger I think is good. Uh, Number four... Read what you've written over and over until you can't find any more problems. I disagree wholeheartedly with this one. Um, Because here's my problem. I do this now. And if left alone to my own designs, I would do this forever. I would never let anything go. I would always be finding fault this is my curse and and a little bit of my o c d and self doubt um the thing last week from j m s from j Michael Straczynski, about never finishing your work because if you finish it then you're opening yourself up to fail that that hit kind of close to home with me and i and i think I think you have to make your work the best it can possibly be. But then you have to draw a line and say that you're done and you have to let it go. You have to let other people read it. You have to let other people give you their feedback on it um, and then either take that for what it is and and do something about it or leave it and and, and move on. You you can't just keep going over and over and over and over and over it because if you do that, you will never, ever finish anything. And, And then what's the point? Um, and then I skip on way down number thirty seven make writing your priority in the morning I, I I don't know about in the morning, but I definitely believe that you should set aside time every day to write and then you should stick to that. So if you give yourself an hour every day, you should at least spend an hour. If you try to give yourself five hours every day and after an hour and a half, you find that you you, you it's just not working then walk away. But at least give yourself that time every day. As long as you're writing, you know, you're you are you will be improving. You're working on your craft. Um if if the project that you're working on right now it doesn't seem to be flowing, maybe switch to something else, you know, as long as you're still writing and you're still working. Um for example, this week I took a break from Sam Kane in order to work on a quick short story about two brothers that I created a while ago, Malachi and Madrigan. Um I just I needed a break. They are fun to write and it's nice to be able to jump in. You can do something really quick with them, give yourself a little bit of break. Um and then later on in the week I went ahead and returned to Kane and I felt re-energized and I was able to push through with a lot of editing and it just it felt great. You know, it it, it was it was just perfect. It's exactly what I needed. So like I said. Um, I, I don't know about the morning but definitely set aside time every day and write and and write something that engages you and pushes you forward um, as far as this list goes there there are tons and tons of suggestions on here well 73 to be exact and they're all from other writers and would-be writers and and, and wannabe writers so there's some good and some bad some which will appeal to you and some which you will just be shaking your head and saying what the hell Um, But you won't know unless you go check it out. So go check it out. Make up your mind for yourself. Copyblogger.com. Links on the show notes. Have fun with it. Okay, so as I said, um, my own writing this week was a good chunk of Malachi and Madrigan. Uh, Again, there are a couple of brothers... It's a fantasy world. It's kind of sword and sorcery kind of stuff. They run around selling their swords, and they get into various kinds of trouble. Typically, they are... Um, I don't know how best to put this. They are extremely amusing to me. So they are my comic relief, and they're quick to write, easy to write. I know exactly who they are. They're not particularly complicated so it, it can be really fun. It's a nice little break. I'm about 6,500 words into a short story, really, that uh, I, I'm planning on it being around 10K total. So you figure, you know, I had a couple of hours, um, a couple nights in a row, and 65 words turned out. And then um, I switched back to, to editing Kane, and, and at that point I felt reinvigorated, and I really got into it, and I was able to do really a lot of expanding, cutting, trimming, um, editing kind of stuff. So I've always, well, I think I've always said that um, what I've got right now is a solid first draft of Sam Cain that needs a little bit of work before I send it out to people to let them read it and then give me feedback. And, I, and I'm sticking by that. And it, it is a, It's probably a, a either a very solid or very strong first draft. Um, and all I can do at this point is keep pushing through to a final product that I can then, um, shop around and, and, and take to press if, if I decide to go that route. So d- definitely kind of a, a good week writing wise. I had that, um, I had the Malachi and Madrigan piece. Um, uh, I didn't do a flash fiction piece though, cause I, I was kind of thinking that if I did finish Malachi and Madrigan, then I'd just post that as a, as a couple, three or four, um, different posts on Thursdays, but I didn't do that. Um, so I'll have to think about that for this next week. And then I did, uh, on the blog, um, continued the comic book thing that I've been doing, um, which is basically grabbing random boxes of comic books from my collection, opening them up, going through them, trying to remember stuff about them, take some photos, put them up on the blog, tell some interesting stories, some funny stories. So I continue to do that. And I did a new um, Caption Fun comic on the blog as well this week. So uh, definitely go check that out. And I think that that's it for this week. Um, I think I'm done. I think this podcast is done. And you're probably ready to move on to the next one. Uh, I want to thank you once again for coming along for the ride. Really, I do appreciate it. Um, Hopefully I'll see you here again next week. I hope that I haven't bored you yet. So uh, come back. Same bat time, same bat channel. In the meantime, don't forget to check out the blog, All Things From My Brain. That's over at theblog.thenewuniverse.com. And... If you are so inclined, you can also follow me on Twitter, twitter.com slash ATFMB. That's all things from my brain abbreviated. I can be somewhat amusing and entertaining. It's been known to happen. You'll never know if you don't come and check it out. Seriously. So, don't miss out on anything. Come follow me, twitter.com slash ATFMB. The things that I decide to look at uh, in preparation for the podcast usually get linked through my Twitter feed. So if for nothing else, um, that should make it worthwhile for you to come check out. If you want to comment or ask me any questions or suggest anything cool at all that I should be paying attention to, please let me know by visiting the blog.thenewuniverse.com and leaving a comment on the episode notes or emailing me at podcast at thenewuniverse.com and uh, I'll be sure to take a look at that stuff. And until we see each other again, or at least until you hear me. I hope you have a great week. Uh, It's been really hot out there, so try to stay cool, and I will see you next time. Bye.